the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. If you're like me, when you're out, you may have noticed a rise in vaping and e-cigarettes. It seems especially hot with youth culture right now, but why? We'll sit down with a public health advisor from the CDC to discuss how we got to this point in America. Plus, vaping is often marketed as a cool, safer alternative to smoking, but is that true? ENT Dr. Russell Faust and a tobacco treatment specialist, Amanda Holmes, stop by to discuss why they're concerned about vaping. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by the Michigan School of Psychology and the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson, who returns tomorrow. What do you make of smoking? The answer to that question probably depends a lot on how old you are. In the 50s and 60s, smoking was seen as cool. During that time, you may even have taken cigarette breaks from class or work. I mean, I heard four out of five doctors recommended it. But then in the 90s and 2000s, smoking use had been drastically reduced, especially when compared to the rest of the world. My mom often reminds me of how I would take my dad's cigarettes, break them in half, and throw them in the trash. And that was based mostly on what I saw from the media telling me about the dangers in smoking. Still today, if you go to Europe or Asia, you'll notice that smoking is much more common than it is here. Americans, by contrast, have created really strong norms and laws against smoking, That was at least until e-cigarettes and vaping recently hit the scene. Gen Z, once fearing cancer-inducing cigarettes, have been gravitating toward e-cigarettes and vaping. And that's partly because e-cigarette companies like Juul have marketed themselves specifically towards kids as they try to get their colorful and flavorful products into the hands of a new generation. And while it's hard to tell whether we should be alarmed yet, the number of students vaping has jumped. From 2017 to 2019, for example, the share of students who vaped increased among 12th graders from 11% to 25%. We're seeing increases with 8th graders, 10th graders, and college students as well. So sure, like the past, some teens still smoke, but the difference is now it's taboo. And as such, students will secretly run to the bathroom with some friends to get a buzz and do it in a very different way than students have smoked in the past. But what does all of this mean for us here? Later in the program, we're going to discuss the big issue of vaping and e-cigarette use as well as its public health consequences. But before we get there, we want to take a moment to talk about how America kicked much of its smoking habit in the first place, leading us to where we are right now. Christy Marinak is a public health official at the Office of Smoking and Health Center at the Centers for Disease uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and she knows a lot about how Americans have been able to quit smoking and how many people are still doing it. Christy, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. 
So, Christy, can you break down this evolution behind smoking? Because I know a lot of us kind of experienced it, but we have listeners from a broad range of ages. So let's just break it down from the beginning. How did America go from a nation of smokers to one not smoking as much compared to other nations? Sure. Well, there are a couple of things, and you alluded to some of them in your introduction, um, which was a really fantastic summary of the lot, a lot of the progress that we've made. So what I want to say for, first off is that um, that smoking really remains the leading cause of preventable death and disease uh, in the United States, even though we have significantly bent the curve of the number of people who smoke, more than 480,000 Americans die every year from smoking or from secondhand smoke exposure and the diseases that that causes. So we're really not out of the woods and we still have a lot of work to do. We also know that there are disparities in who continues to smoke. So people with lower incomes, certain racial and ethnic groups, uh, people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender, among others, smoke at significantly higher rates than others with, for example, low, higher incomes and higher education. But we made a ton of progress, as you mentioned, um, owing to a, a great deal to the science. So in 1964, uh, the, the first Surgeon General's report on smoking um, was released, and it was the first time that there was a, um, a major acknowledgement and a conclusion that smoking causes lung cancer. And really after that, we started to see significant declines in the number of people who smoke. Uh, we also have seen, as you mentioned earlier, um, an, a, a substantial increase in the number of evidence-based protections that we have to prevent and reduce smoking and change the norms around smoking. And that includes smoke-free policies, that includes raising the, ta the, the price of tobacco products, which is particularly helpful for preventing youth use because the more things cost, the less youth are able to afford them. And includes includes um, some major campaigns um, directed to youth uh, to prevent smoking or adults to help them quit, including CDC's tips tips from former smokers campaign, which um, in which we engage real heroes who have suffered from health consequences from smoking and who share their stories and have led to um, more than a million people trying to quit for good. Um, so that's just a couple of examples of uh, how we have made sub su such substantial progress, but we really have a lot more work to do. It is true. And you bring up a lot of uh, really interesting points there, especially uh, looting into how marketing happens, how these things are advertised to certain groups, especially in lower information, which I appreciate. But as we've gotten more information out, there was a time where we thought smoking was sig significantly understood to be dangerous. Uh, how did we get to a point now where there's a rise in e-smoking and vaping as we hear about it? Sure. So e-cigarettes arrived in the United States around 2007. And um, initially, there um, we, we did begin to see um, sort of slight increases in the number of youth and the number of adults who were using those products. Uh, but it wasn't until um, Juul arrived on the market 
Um, and the Jewel really changed the game. They were introduced in 2015. They actually launched themselves as a tech product at TechCrunch rather than what you would normally see a tobacco expo for a, a new product. And they changed they changed the game in a couple of ways. One was by having really appealing flavors like cool cucumber and mango. Two was by marketing their products using really attractive models that were young and looked like they were having fun together. Three was the design of their product that made it look like uh, a USB flash drive rather than, you know, uh, something shaped like a traditional cigarette or cigar. And three, and one that's really an important change that they made, was that they innovated something that they call nicotine salts. And they add chemicals to the nicotine that is derived from the tobacco leaf that allows for higher amounts of nicotine to to be inhaled uh, with less harshness. And that was a way that they were able to mimic the nicotine delivery of the cigarette. Um, and that, so what we saw was Juul started to really take off, particularly between 2017 and 2018, and about 11% of high school students were using e-cigarettes in 2017, and that nearly doubled to more than 20% 20, 20 in 2018, leading the Surgeon General at the time to declare youth vaping an epidemic. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I did see when I was on the CDC's website that in 2017, that year you just mentioned, about two-fifths of U.S. adults believe that uh, children's exposure to secondhand uh, electronic vaping pens, aerosols, caused some or little harm, so not so much harm, while one-third also didn't know whether it caused harm at all. Um, and I know that Juul and other places marketed their products as a safer alternative to smoking. Uh, what response would you have to those parents who didn't have that kind of concern or people who are saying you're making much ado about nothing when it comes to e-cigs? They're safer. It's OK. Uh, why are you uh, making such an issue of this? Yeah. So when we are talking about young people, there is no safe tobacco product, whether it's smoked, vaped or smokeless. Tobacco products contain nicotine, and young people are uniquely vulnerable both to nicotine addiction and to the ways that nicotine can permanently change their brains. So, um, when you are um, when your adolescence um, uh, actually continues through about age 25, because our brains are the slowest organs to develop, and that development doesn't wrap up until the mid 20s. And when you are exposed to nicotine as an adolescent, your brain changes. Um, in fundamental ways, uh, affecting learning, memory, and attention. And we also know from animal studies that nicotine exposure during adolescence can prime the brain for addiction to other drugs. And how do we know that? Well, of course, we can't do those studies on humans. No person would volunteer their child uh, to participate in um, you know, a study to see if their, their kid who uses nicotine would then use other drugs. But we know from animal studies, you know, the rat's brain is quite quite a bit like the adult brain, uh, the, the human brain. And scientists have actually given nicotine to adolescent rats and to adult rats, and then given those rats additional drugs um, of addiction, such as cocaine and methamphetamine. And the teenage rats actually want more of those other drugs than the adult rats do. So when it comes to tobacco use, 
no matter what form it is, there's no safe product for young people. We're talking with Christy Marinak, a public health advisor at the Office of Smoking and Health at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, talking about vaping, the evolution of smoking e-cigarettes. But we also want to speak with you while we're having this conversation. In fact, uh, for you, are you someone who has smoking in your life today? Are you a regular smoker? And uh, what do you make of younger people smoking e-cigarettes? Tell us your story. Have you had health concerns with that, or do you know people who do it? Do you think this is a problem that we're facing now, or do you think it's much ado about nothing? Give us a call, 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, But getting back to you, Christy, I know that the Trump administration was uh, raised the legal age for purchasing e-cigarettes and vape pens from 18 uh, in 2021 to 21 uh, to the age of 21. Did that prevent a lot of young people from smoking? Why or why not? So um, we need a, a variety of different strategies to help prevent young people from accessing tobacco products. And we know that um, raising the age of tobacco products is um, is one way um, to help prevent young people from accessing them, but it is not a silver bullet strategy. We also need to do other things like raising the price of tobacco products, really enforcing restrictions so that retailers aren't violating um, restrictions on, on sales to minors, uh, smoke-free policies that change the norms um, and other strategies. And, you know, the fact is that we still see about 14% of um, uh, today's high school students in 2022 uh, report using an e-cigarette. Most of them get them from peer sources, um, but some of them are still buying them in stores. So, you know, if you suspect that a retailer um, is illegally selling uh, tobacco products, including e-cigarettes to minors, you can actually report that to the FDA and they can investigate whether there are violations that are happening. Um, You know, we need a a variety of strategies and we also have to hold uh, people accountable for not only not selling them uh, to young people, but also not designing products um, using uh, um, tactics and factors that we know really appeal to young people. And some of the flavors that we see like unicorn puke or Mm. um, lush ice, um, you know, really are are flavors that we know appeal to young people. So I would say we we should also wag our finger at uh, companies that are are making and designing products that um, that obviously appeal to young people. Everybody knows a real unicorn would never puke. So that's just fake right out the <laughs> gates. Let's be honest. But as we continue our conversation, I I appreciate you bringing up that point because one of the things that we want to know is. What could we do in place? We seem to have a model already from cigarette smoking, but what would you recommend in terms of laws and other policies that we could put into place to protect teens and uh, the wider public at large, but especially the youth, from getting access to uh, vaping and vape pens? Right. So um, there are a couple of things um, that we that we know work, and particularly raising the price of tobacco products. Um, you know, young people right now are able to uh, able 
well, I won't say young people. I will say that um, e-cigarettes deliver a large amount of nicotine for really um, a very, very low cost. And so one thing that we can do is really take a look at how much nicotine is being delivered and raise the price um, of all tobacco products, including e-cigarettes, because young people are particularly sensitive to price increases. Another thing that we're seeing um, is is, uh, policies to prevent the sale of flavored um, tobacco products. So now we have two states in the nation, Massachusetts and California, actually uh, prohibit the sale of any flavored tobacco product, um, including e-cigarettes and menthol cigarettes, because we know that flavors in tobacco products appeal to young people. And also menthol in cigarettes both increases the likelihood of of starting to smoke and also makes it more difficult to quit. Um, So those are a couple of strategies that um, that we're seeing happen, but they're not being adopted uh, uniformly across the United States. Very good. Patty, I'm going to have another question for you. But before we do that, we're going to go to the phones right now. Uh, actually, i say that again. Christy, I'm going to have another question for you. But we have Patty in sure. Southfield on the line right now first. Patty, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Hi. I just wonder, first of all, who owns the company? And second of all, you know, why can't they just shut that down? I mean, it's – I don't understand. Very – Simple and straight to the point. And it is one of the things I was kind of thinking about because it was confusing to me why vaping would be under a different legislative structure or rule structure than cigarettes, uh, considering they're also using tobacco. So I present that to you, Christy. Why hasn't the government just been more forceful in regulating, if not shutting down these companies? So the Food and Drug Administration Center for Tobacco Products is um, an agency that's separate from the Centers for Disease Control where I work. And so I'll, I'll refer questions about specific regulation of tobacco products to my colleagues over at FDA. Um, to your question about um, who owns these companies, it's a complicated answer. Uh, the, the products that um, are most commonly sold, including Views e-cigarettes, are sold by the cigarette manufacturer R.J. Reynolds, which also makes things like Newport and Camel cigarettes. Uh, some of the products are made by companies that appear to only make e-cigarettes. Many of them are imported from China. Um, But the FDA has the authority to regulate all tobacco products, including cigarettes, cigars, and e-cigarettes. We're speaking with Christy Marinak, again, a public health advisor at the Office of Smoking and Health at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And we want to speak with you as well. 313-577-1019, as I thank Patty and Southfield for her question. Christy, before I let you go, I do want to bring up some questions that I've seen when, again, reading about this topic or hearing from others. You talk about things like raising the price to make it more restrictive on uh, youth from getting access to these products. You've mentioned how they're dangerous, but what do you say for those who say, look, e-cigarettes as they exist now, I'm an adult, I had an issue with smoking, e-cigarettes are helping me wean myself off, I like flavored cigarettes, and you shouldn't be making me spend more uh, to get my e-cigarettes because I'm an adult with a fully framed brain, so you're kind of overly restricting me. What response would you have to that person? 
Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think the issue of um, e-cigarette use among adults who smoke is sort of a different issue from young people. I think right now when nicotine costs cents on the dollar, um, that the, 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 the price of some of these products, if, you know, for example, that deliver 5,000 puffs of nicotine um, makes these products substantially actually cheaper than cigarettes. So, you know, some, some experts have proposed that there should be a sweet spot where you raise the products so that young people um, can't afford them, but, you know, have a price differential between them for adults to access them. What I do want to say about um, adult use of e-cigarettes is that what we often see, when I mean, you mentioned um, that uh, people may be using e-cigarettes to wean themselves off of cigarettes, uh, one thing I want to say about that is that many adults who are using um, e-cigarettes are also engaging in cigarette use, which is something that we call dual use. And dual use of both e-cigarettes and cigarettes, you know, at the same time or intermittently switching between maybe when you're at work or at home, um, this, the, the evidence that we're seeing is that it actually may be even more harmful than just uh, cigarette smoking or just e-cigarette use. So how do we know that? We know that um, people who um, are engaging in this dual use actually have more toxicants in their bodies, and they also are experiencing worse respiratory symptoms than people who smoke alone or who, who vape alone. So I would encourage you, if you're an adult and you're not pregnant and you are, are smoking, first of all, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW or visit smokefree.gov to learn about evidence-based and safe and effective ways uh, to quit. The FDA has approved seven different methods um, for, for quitting, and you can get free and confidential support to help you quit. And second of all, if you choose to use an e-cigarette in an attempt uh, to quit smoking, switch completely. Stop. Put, put, throw away. Get uh, you know. Ha have Nick um, cut your cigarettes in half like he did for his dad back when he was a kid. <laughs> um, and then make a plan to transition away from all tobacco products completely. Yeah, yeah. It's difficult to get in trouble when you're doing someone a favor, especially when you're six. So uh, it's a great strategy. But Christy, we'll have to end the conversation there. Really good uh, information and food for thought. Thank you for joining us here on Detroit Today. When we return, we are going to discuss some more issues, including how it's impacting kids with Amanda Holm, a project manager at Henry Ford Hospital System, as well as Dr. Russell Foss, an ear, nose and throat physician. We'll return on Detroit Today. It's Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. Nick Austin filling in for Stephen Henderson, who's back in the big chair tomorrow. But right now we're talking about smoking and we want to go deeper into the conversation on vaping and e-cigarette use, especially getting into how big a deal this is and what kind of damage it does to people's bodies and well-being. What do we know? What do we not know? And what do you need to know? To discuss this, we have Dr. Russell Faust here. He's an ear, nose, and throat physician, as well as the medical and lab director at Oakland County. Dr. Faust, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much, Nick. Great to be here. And joining him also is Amanda Holm, a project manager at the Henry Ford Health Hospital System and a tobacco treatment specialist. Amanda, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. 
So, Dr. Russell, we'll start with you. You work in Oakland County. Give us a sense of how many students and adults are using e-cigarettes and vape pens. Well, it's estimated that something like 13 million um, in the U.S. are using e-cigarettes. And that, that's, of course, old data. It's difficult to get the most you know, recent and latest data. Um, somewhere around 3 million of those are children, that is, middle and high school students. Um, and as listeners have just heard uh, Christy from CDC uh, describe kind of a lot of the, the health impact on the developing brain, this is an enormous problem. Um, and there are basically two negative effects on our kids, and those are to the lung and to the developing brain. So if you want to get into a little bit more, we did discuss a little bit about the uh, brain, but I'll let you take an opportunity right now since you mentioned it. What are some of the issues that we have in terms of linking vaping with damage to the lungs? So damage to the lung. Um, Vaping consists of aerosolized product that is uh, up to 95% of the juice or the liquid content of e-cigarettes is propylene glycol. And some listeners will recognize that as antifreeze. But when antifreeze, propylene glycol, is heated in an e-cigarette, it generates at least three very toxic chemicals, and those injure the epithelial lining of the lung. Um, As of 2000, there were um, nearly 3,000 illness-related injuries documented um, across 50 states and um, 66 fatalities. So, you know, when when we hear Big Tobacco describe e-cigarettes as the safe alternative, it clearly is not safe. And um, and I'd be happy to go into the, I, I don't want to <laughs> Turn no. off your, your we, listeners by all the technical detail of the molecular biology of with, the effects. With the understanding that all the comments you're going to make is stuff that you know based on your research or what have you in terms of your studies and expertise, we'll go with that. And we're going to get back to a little bit more of that information that you mentioned. But I want to bring Amanda into the conversation right now because, Amanda, I know you have experience working with cigarettes and now, uh, or people who have cigarette use, tobacco use, and now you're also working with folks with e-cigarette and vaping use. So how have you seen this uh, change and affect your practice and what you do? Well, I think that a lot of the principles are much the same as with cigarettes. Um, You know, many e-cigarette products have fairly high levels of nicotine delivery, and so you're going to see people be, you know, nearly as addicted to them as to, you know, traditional cigarettes. And so a lot of the treatment principles are the same. We, we help people make quit plans, um, help them figure out ways to uh, rearrange their daily life, essentially, to, um, to cope with it without uh, nicotine use and without dealing with nicotine withdrawal. Um, and it's very much the case that um, e-cigarette makers, um, you know, for example, Juul, is known to have used um, tobacco industry research that was done decades before to figure out how to use particular forms of nicotine to ensure that the that it's delivered to the the lungs and the brain and that it is um, you know addictive to keep people coming back to use the product. 
Another thing when you talk about making it more addictive, I know marketing has come up a lot in this, and I want to bring you back into the conversation, Dr. Faust, because based on what you've seen in terms of how companies are marketing these products, uh, what have you noticed in terms of marketing and kids when it comes to vaping and e-cigarettes? Well, a couple things, and I should address something that we're kind of glossing over, and that is the nicotine content of these products. Um, you know, a regular cigarette has anywhere from 1 to somewhere around 12, 10 or 12. Let's call it 10 milligrams of nicotine per cigarette. Um, one Juul Pod has more than 40 milligrams of nicotine in it. And a, a one Puff Bar, which is the disposable e-cigarette, has approximately 50 milligrams of nicotine. So th- these are clearly optimizing the addictive properties of these products. And... Um, you know, they're, they're clearly um, directed to our children, which is the most um, uh, reprehensible aspect of them, I would say. So, you know, the, I think Christy from CDC commented on these, uh, these flavors that are clearly directed to our children. That is um, Smurf blood or unicorn puke mm. or tutti frutti or... Um, I got to say, it's making me want to go run out and yeah, grab one right now. You need some, don't you? <laughs> um, but the, um, the marketing has been clearly directed toward children. And then there are other groups, demographics that um, Big Tobacco, RJ R. Reynolds and, and others have discovered um, are easier to um, addict due to um, likely stressors in their their lives. So um, Big Tobacco targets the LGBTQ community, for example, by sponsoring pride events and giving out e-cigarettes at those events. Um, They intentionally advertise a tenfold amount of advertising in um, periodicals, magazines um, for those demographics. So... You know, Dr. Faust, I take your point on that. I really do. But also, we know that those kind of events need support. So could it not just be an expression of these companies that we do support these things? How do you differentiate that it's targeting a group versus them just expressing that that is what they're interested in supporting? Well, they're certainly not targeting a whole bunch of other options. Um, You know, our... um, um, Oh, my gosh. I can think of any other events that they're just not targeting. Mm. Um, so they, they clearly have selected these events. All right. Speaking of people who are concerned about uh, targeting and where they're seeing uh, vaping in their lives, we want to move to the phones right now. And we have Zucharina, Zucharia of, uh, right now, a substitute teacher who's calling. Uh, Zucharia, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Zucharia, tell us what your experience is like. Why are you concerned about vaping as a teacher? Um, I see it as a huge problem in most of the schools I had um, sub for um, across Metro Detroit. Um, it's been a very big problem where students, you know, get easily distracted and seeing how their grades are really low um, and skipping class and missing assignments due to vaping. So that is really a big problem I see in most middle school to high school, mostly in high school. Uh, 
students who are uh, vaping right now. Is that a trend that you are associating with the vaping? Like you might have seen the same student and they were a little bit more on track. And then after you found out that they were doing some vaping, maybe they weren't doing it as much. Or what are you attributing that association to in your experience? Yeah, so I have seen um, students who vape um, outside of class, outside of school, um, usually they tend to have lower grades than students who don't vape. And I did see like a trend in that in different um, schools. And I've seen like how vaping really affects their academic performances in Mm -hmm. school. Well, Zachariah, I appreciate you bringing your perspective and calling into Detroit today. That was very helpful, as you can now beat the next caller here on 313-577-1019 in Detroit today. Give us a call and let us know. Are you someone that has experienced any health issues with smoking, vaping, or e-cigarettes? Let us know your story. And uh, do you think that the government should regulate vaping more strictly? Or do you think, again... We're taking this all way to, uh, it's all way too large a deal. You're saying, hey, guys, you're overstating this. What's your experience in your life? Give us a call, 313-577-1019, and we want to hear from you. One good question that we did get from Twitter is uh, Anthony, who says, nobody uses a whole e-cig in one sitting. So how are the micrograms of nicotine comparable to a single cigarette? I leave that question to you, Amanda, because it's something that when I was doing my reading and preparation for this, I heard that, you know, it was on the scale of a pack or more of cigarettes. But what can you say in terms of how much nicotine you get in the use of a a vape pen or a cigarette or an e-cig? Well, part of the problem is it can sometimes be hard to tell how much nicotine is actually in a particular vaping product, you know, unless it's labeled with that number of milligrams of nicotine, which I think we usually, uh, in our program, we say about five milligrams is the equivalent of a cigarette, kind of like the average uh, amount there. And so if you have one that has 50 milligrams in it, then that's 10 cigarettes worth. And it may be true that no one's, you know, people may not be using that entire amount at once, but they may be using a lot more than they think because there is less of the, um, you know, the harshness of the smoke to slow them down. Um, And so you can get quite a dose of nicotine in a short amount of time um, you know, even if it's not all one sitting, it might be the equivalent of three cigarettes or five cigarettes or, you know, if it, it can really um, get out of hand uh, kind of quickly because it's one of those things where the flavors are enticing, um, it seems easy to do, and so you may get more in, uh, in a sitting than you're really intending to or anticipating. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I'm hearing here also is about the dosage. You know, when we're talking about youth, not really a safe dose out there anyway, right? Uh, So, Dr. Faust, how would you have a response to that concern? That's absolutely true. um, Our colleague from CDC mentioned that there is no safe dose for children. And the, the real problem is in the developing brain, activating these nicotinic receptors um, causing an increase in these receptors. So then it makes it more likely to become addicted to any other addicting substance in the future. And it, it um, poses problems with impulsive behavior, decrease in attention and focus, and decreased learning ability. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, 
There, there is no safe dose. Gotcha. Uh, we're going to move to the phones right now with Sherlan in Ontario. Sherlan, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Nick. How are you? Doing well. What's your question for us? I'm curious. Um, first of all, I did quit using tobacco-flavored vaping product. I'm curious, with the cigarette smoke of a traditional tobacco, which I never inhaled until I got into my 20s, but when the vape is released from the breath in a steam, are there contagions in the air? Sherlan, I'm really glad you asked that because I'll be out at a restaurant and I'll see people just hitting the pen right in front of me. And I'm like, what are you, man, I don't want to get any of that uh, secondhand smoke in me. And they're like, what are you talking about? There's nothing coming out of here. I disagree. Let's set the record straight. Dr. Foss, is it true? Do you get any uh, secondhand release from that that has concerns for people? That secondhand smoke clearly has those chemicals in it that we find in the aerosol of e-cigarettes. And the way we know that is that um, when non-smokers, non-vapers have their blood tested and urine tested, we find those products in their blood and urine when they're exposed to secondhand vape. There you go. So if you're vaping out there, what you're releasing does have an effect on others around you. Uh, As we now have another open line for you, 313-577-1019. Again, to get involved with the conversation, 313-577-1019. What's the impact vaping and uh, e-cigarettes have had in your life? What do you see out there? And do you have concern uh, with others? Uh, To put a finer point on that, Dr. Foss, though, what's the comparison when it comes to uh, the release of secondhand smoke from cigarettes uh, compared to vaping? With the understanding that you're still intaking it with vaping, uh, some people were going to say, well, cigarette smoke, it's going to be way worse than if I release from an e-cig. And for complete transparency, I think the answer is we don't know yet. Mm. And that's going to be the answer for a lot of questions about the long-term effects or side stream secondary smoke effects of vaping. We just don't have the, uh, the same decades of research available. Right. We are talking again right now about vaping and e-cigarettes. Is it a problem in our communities with our youth? We're talking with Dr. Russell Foss, the ear, nose, and throat physician, again, and medical lab director, medical and lab director at Oakland County, as well as Amanda Holm, the project manager with the Henry Ford Health Hospital System and tobacco treatment specialist. But we want to uh, speak with you as well. Give us a call, 313-577-1019. When we return, I do have a question here on Twitter asking about the truth of brain development. Is it done at 25 and not 16? We'll answer that question on the other side as Detroit Today continues. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. It's Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. Nick Austin here, hanging out with you on Detroit Today. Stephen Henderson returns tomorrow, but right now we're discussing 
vaping and e-cigarette smoking. It's uh, concerns, why folks are concerned about it, the rise in youth culture right now, and trying to figure out how dangerous is it? How much should we be concerned about it? And getting into that, as I have two great guests with me, Dr. Russell Faust, as well as Amanda Holm of the Henry Ford Health Hospital System, a tobacco treatment specialist. Before we get back to you, Amanda, Dr. Faust, we had this question come through on Twitter about pushing back, claiming that the brain is done developing at 16, not 25. Now, I know you're an ear, nose, and throat doctor, so with that understanding out of the way, based on what you've known, speaking with your colleagues and things of that nature, uh, what do you say to the person who says that, no, it's 16, not 25? What's your stance on this? Well, to be clear, I am trained as an otolaryngologist. Oh, perfect. But I am a licensed physician, okay. so yeah, um, yeah. I do have some, some education. Um, you know, it's most of the brain development work is done in um, functional imaging, functional MRI, that sort of thing, and um, psychological testing. Um, what is known is that um, brain development is uh, a little um, slower in males than females. I'm sure the women out there can recognize that truth. And, um, you know, we have been pushing that that date later and later as we learn more and more about um, maturation of brain development. You know, right now it's, they're telling us it's about 25. Again, it can be later in men. Um, but, um, you know, psychiatric testing and functional MRI testing is not exactly um, cut and dried molecular testing. So it's a, uh, right now it's a moving target, but it's at least 25 before those pathways are fully developed. Yeah. And speaking of uh, our development, Amanda, I want to bring you back into the conversation because as you are someone who uh, it works directly with folks when it comes to this arena, uh, what have you seen in terms of uh, e-cigarette use and vaping uh, with younger uh, individuals in terms of like personal stories that you have or what you've seen in your work? Well, you know, I can also bring my experience as a parent to bear here, yeah. too. Um, I currently have a high school student uh, in in public schools and uh, also a recent graduate. And I, you know, this is something that they tell me about as well, that there are uh, lots of kids doing this, that it is uh, not seen as harmful, um, that they're pretty much, you know, um, they see people kind of occupying certain bathrooms in the school, and it, it, it's kind of disruptive for the other kids, you know, as well, because there's a sense that you can't go in there without uh, going into a cloud of yeah. aerosolized chemicals. Um, and just, I think that's the general sense is that if it's not safe, it's safer enough that they don't have to worry about it. I think that, you know, the flavors and the marketing, I especially want to call out social media kind of marketing of these things, because that's a big way that information or misinformation about these products reach our kids. Yeah, yeah. 313-577-1019 is the phone number. Dr. Faust, we're going to get into popcorn lung a little bit later. But before we do that, I want to bring on Peter in Detroit. Peter, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi there, Nick. Um, good show. Uh, I want to say I quit smoking. I smoked for about 20 years and always felt guilty about it because I was an athlete. I was embarrassed that I smoked. Um, and I grew up in, in, in the time when we had all this education about smoking and I was still doing it. And I quit, I wanted to quit. I had 
I started cutting back on how many cigarettes I smoked, but I could never let go of it, even though my dad had lung cancer mm. and from, from smoking. And I thought, what am I doing? And I spoke to a friend who was a counselor, and he said, you're still smoking because it's doing something for you. And when you figure out what that is, you'll be able to let it go. And I pondered on that. I was like, what is he talking about? And then I, I lit up a cigarette one day, and I realized, hey, you do that just like the way Dad did it. Mm. I, 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 the way I held my cigarette, if I held it in between my lips, if I was doing something with my hands, everything was just like Dad did it. And I realized, Dad doesn't want you to keep smoking. You know, I thought quitting smoking would be an act of disloyalty to him. And when I dismissed that notion, I threw away a half a pack of cigarettes that were perfectly good. But I was like, no, I'm done. And I think maybe smoking is just all in your head. Mm. Because I was able to just walk away from it once I realized what I was getting out of it. Well, you know, it's a very interesting story, Peter, and I'm sure that uh, your story resonates with a lot of folks. Uh, but I want to turn to you, Amanda, as you do help people who are trying to kick the habit. What say you? What have you found in your experience in terms of people who are trying to let go of the habit? Well, let me start by saying congratulations to Peter. I think that's it's wonderful that you've quit, and that's a huge achievement, and you should be very proud of that. Um, I think, you know, what he notes is very true. We know the very strong physical addiction component to um, tobacco and nicotine use. There's definitely also uh, psychological and habitual components to it, and certainly understanding your motivations and being very clear on um, what it is that, um, you know, prompts you to smoke each time, what part of your day it happens in, just kind of how it fits into your daily life, because it's something that's you know, if you take, let's say, five puffs on each cigarette, 10 cigarettes a day, that's 50 times a day at least that your addiction is reinforced and it's kind of coupled with um, different phases of your day, different surroundings, and so it becomes prompted by that as well. And so it's, you know, when we um, uh, counsel smokers on quitting, um, you know, besides having them make a plan to quit and set a quit date and that kind of thing, we also get in-depth with them about um, how smoking fits into their daily life and how they may have to rework their routine at some key moments so that they're not prompted or reminded to pick up a cigarette. Yeah, very good points there, uh, some actionable instructions. And Peter, I really appreciate your story. As I'm sure, I'm sure that's going to be helpful for a lot of other people who are working and trying to figure out the best way for them to go about that process as well. As we move now to Joe in Washington, D.C., what is happening, Joe, in the nation's capital? You're on Detroit today. Well, uh, vaping marijuana seems to be increasingly popular, and I'm wondering if vaping marijuana has any negative health consequences uh, for cancer or heart and lung uh, disease. Yeah, you know, you hear that a lot. People wonder about that question. Dr. Foss, I present it to you. Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for that. Um, yes. So to vape marijuana or get THC into your e-cigarette, you need to use some kind of so-called juice. And again, most of that is propylene glycol. And when you heat that to vape the, the THC, you end up injuring the lining of your lungs. And, um, you know, most of the acute response that has been documented so far 
has been this this acute inflammation of the lung and constriction of the bronchioles and um, and virtually all the fatalities um, have been from the lung injury except mm-hmm. for the exploding uh, e-cigarettes that have killed people. Very good. Joe, I really appreciate that question. It's an important one. I know yeah. that comes up a lot as we continue on the phone lines now with Charlie and Alan Park. Charlie, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Yeah, I guess to me it's a no-brainer. Why don't we just outlaw tobacco products completely across the board? I, I mean, we outlaw so many substances because they're suspected carcinogens. It seems like a no-brainer. This is killing millions of people. These people are these companies are murdering people. I take your point, Charlie and Alan Park. A lot of people would be concerned with that. Amanda, what do you say to Charlie's point? Why haven't we just outlawed all these things right now? Well, um, as to why we haven't done it yet, I think there's a lot of historical and political background behind that. Um, You know, when the Food and Drug Administration was first formed in the early 20th century, they were expressly prohibited from regulating tobacco and nicotine products back at that time. And that was directly, you know, the tobacco industry's influence there. Um, They more recently, um, during President Obama's administration, got the authority to regulate nicotine and tobacco products. But even that has been fraught with a lot of politics and has has slowed down that process a great deal. Um, A lot of countries, though, are starting to look at what we're calling the tobacco endgame, where um, they're looking at policies like... um, phasing out the use of tobacco, kind of continuing to um, raise the age uh, limits for smoking and tobacco use so that young people don't become addicted and and aren't sort of permitted to use tobacco in that, you know, key period up to age 25 and so on where they're, um, you know, sort of potentially likelier to be addicted. Um, And it's one of those things where our FDA is starting to pursue some policies around that, like they're considering uh, regulating the amount of nicotine in cigarettes and reducing it so that they're non-addictive. Um, and so I think that it's, it's you know, an idea whose time really is coming to fruition a little more um, as people look at different ways of, you know, not having some sort of prohibition-style problems that, that we saw with alcohol, but um, getting a little more creative with the policies to ensure that we have a smooth transition to a tobacco-free society. Right, right. Charlie, I appreciate that question as it did get us to some interesting solutions there from you, Amanda. And uh, I want to get back to you, Dr. Faust, because you did mention this idea of popcorn lung, which is something I've never heard of. Uh, What is popcorn lung? How does that fit into what we are discussing today? So the the technical term is um, bronchiolitis obliterans, and it essentially means inflammation of the um, small airways of the lung. And this occurs because, uh, for a number of reasons, but we've talked about those chemicals that come out of the, the aerosol of e-cigarettes. And um, those injure the epithelial, epithelial lining of the um, small airways. It allows those particles in the aerosol to get past the usual tight junction and into the underlying um, tissue. And that incites inflammation. It draws in Uh, macrophages and neutrophils and those which are meant to be part of your immune system and kill foreign invaders unfortunately there's no foreign invader there there's just these particles and poisons yeah and they release uh, proteases 
and it injures the lung lining, you get constriction. Right. I got about a minute left, but I got really two really good questions that have come in. So I'm going to try to get through these quick. First one on Twitter, ask about the recovery time uh, for damage done from smoking for vaping for teens. Is it permanent damage? Can you recover? What's the recovery time for that? Go ahead. We don't, if, for vaping, we don't know. Right. Um, we just don't have the, uh, the kind of longitudinal time research in yet. Um, and for smoking, it can take years to, yeah. uh, to recover, but it depends on how many pack years, how many packs per day, how long you've smoked. Right. And uh, Sean, go ahead real quick. You're on Detroit Today in Clinton Township. You got 30 seconds. Uh, yeah, I was just wondering how I can get information on Quentin smoking. Um, yeah. I went to the hospital yesterday. I felt like I was dying. As soon as I walked out of the hospital, I lit up a cigarette. Right. I wish they would have banned them. Yeah. You know, Sean, I want to get you some good information, and we're coming up on the end. Amanda, do you have any advice for him? Uh, the quickest advice I have is 1-800-QUIT-NOW. That will get you to the Michigan Tobacco Quit link, um, and they will be able to help you with some counseling, uh, potentially access to medications. Uh, they're a great resource. Thank That's- you, Sean and Clinton Township. We're rooting for you. Good luck with that. Thank you so much, Dr. Faust, for joining us on Detroit Today and Amanda Holm. It's 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Tune in tomorrow when we discuss hip hop sampling. It'll be a great conversation. And thank you to our student producer, Taylor Davis, for putting together this show.